guys. Thanks for listening to Just the Basics. I'm Tommy. I'm Matt. And we're keeping the beat for you once a week. We are continuing our series on music theory. So this is what, episode four now? Episode mm-hmm. four. Uh, this time around, we're talking about time signatures and rhythm. We've been laying down a foundation for you of the harmonic, stru- well, we're talking about harmony next week, but the note structure and that sort of thing, your triads and your simple stuff like that. So now we're going to talk about what holds it all together, which would be time. Time is time's a little bit different than groove, I would say. You know, yeah. It's kind of a tough thing to define. but So groove, the way I've heard it said, Norm Stockton says this all the time in his Art of Groove courses, that groove is repeating ideas that are, it's what you expect to hear coming because of repeating ideas. So whether a groove could simply just be boom, 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 because you know what's coming next. Yeah, exactly. You can easily build on it. You can feel it. You know it's going to happen. So it's that's what a groove is. Time is the forward momentum that holds that together. So, right. yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, you can you can't really groove without time, but you can have Correct. time without groove. Yes, I think that's very true. Yeah, I think time is is the the organization of the rhythm of the music, and groove is the the culmination of the feeling of that time altogether in a way that, you know, it controls the momentum in a pleasant fashion. So sometimes you don't have grooving music and it's a, uh, but there's strong time. I would think of, you know, box Baroque stuff where, Oh, that has time. Most of the time it didn't really groove necessarily, but it was definitely organized and detailed in keeping to its time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I feel like that you could say has time, but not really any sort of groove is a lot of the uh, symph- symphonic writing. Mm-hmm. It has steady time for the most part. There are the rubato sections where the conductor purposely slows it down and speeds it up again. But for the most part, you do hold a steady time, but there's no repeated groove that keeps it moving. You know, you don't have the the tuba player going boom, 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 you know, you don't have it just repeating over and over again to keep it there. Right. So it's, yeah, I I think that's a good way to put it. I think time moves on whether or not there's a groove. That is true. Even in like cinematic writing, when there's no groove whatsoever, uh, like in uh, like something by Star in Star Wars or whatever, a John Williams piece. There's not necessarily a beat that's happening. There's no drummer that's except in the Mos Eisley Cantina. But right there's if you look at the score, there's definitely a rhythm that's defined, and they're waiting for the time to come in, and there's still secretly a beat that is moving forward with the metronome and then things come in at their moment as is uh, notated by John Williams or whoever. So mm-hmm. the time will keep going, but that doesn't mean that's the beat. So we'll probably say the word beat a lot, like keeping to the beat or whatever, but that doesn't mean like those tasty, tasted beats dropping them down or something. <laughs> it's not like that. No, the beat is, well, uh, tempo. So your tempo is beats per minute. So it's the number of time, the pulse that happens. So the click, 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 click that keeps the time moving. That's mm-hmm. what the beat is. So like if you're at 60 beats per minute, that's pretty slow. That's one click every time the clock moves a second. So that's a really slow piece of music. Um, pretty much, yep. I've got a Michael Brecker transcription I'm working on that's at 300 beats a minute. So... Uh-huh. Yeah, I can't play it at 300 beats a minute, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's all over the place. So time keeps it steady. It's like when we talked, remember the role of the bass episode that we did, Matt? We were talking about how the bass player, one of the big roles is just to play time. 
Mm-hmm. Like especially in a jazz band setting, you got the four, you know, the the ba- the walking bass line, boom, 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 boom. You know, if you're doing that sort of thing as a bass player, you're keeping time so everybody else can relax and fit into the groove better. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not a, it's not that complicated in my opinion. What gets complicated is when you talk about the different time signatures and the different ways that you can keep time. Right. Uh, so there are two different types. There's a couple different types of time signatures. Uh, first, we'll talk about even and odd time signatures. Mm-hmm. So even time signatures, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but the way I always remember them is they are basically groups of four. So, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. like your common time is in 4-4. Four, four, so that's pretty much every rock tune you've ever heard of, every church song you've ever heard. Most music is in 4-4. Four, four. So 4-4 four, four just feels natural. I don't know what it is about it that makes it feel comfortable, but it's even, it's symmetrical, and it it's comfortable. I tried to find some sort of like psychological hoobie on why even in non four four time signatures, we still interpret music in uh, in four. We still feel out the measures in four in phrases of four. Maybe that's because we were raised in Western music with everything being grouped into four groupings with the the phrasing and the compositions. Everything is divisible by four in some way. But um, in any case. A lot of the time, if you say, say you're the drummer, um, I have some kids that are learning drums uh, under me and they are learning where to place their fills. And I keep mm-hmm. on repeating four, four at the end of four. When the phrase ends at the end of four. That's a nice time for you to try out a fill. Now, these are like they're dead start at the beginning. They're barely able to hear my uh my bass playing while they're they're playing a drum beat they they're practically clueless but i'm trying to drill that into their instincts and regardless of whether or not they're really thinking about it i've noticed that even these kids like i think one of them is five he still always plays those fills at the right time at the end of Mm -hmm. four he still feels it in four which just tells me how instinctual that feeling of four really is right because then when i ask him like were you listening for that were you counting out he's like no i just felt like the right time i'm i'm really just putting it where it feels right i'm like that's good good job kid that's awesome yeah. that means he doesn't have to drill out thinking of the numbers as much he can just feel out the beat and that's awesome mm-hmm. whether yeah he's doing like you said i don't know if it's just because <laughs> of where we grew up and what we listen to but we hear four four all the time I'm, like when people clap along to a song, they don't really clap along to songs that are not in four four. Nope, it just doesn't really happen. Like, have you like been in this church setting? Is just where you hear a lot of live music. That's where most people are exposed to it. So that's just what I'll example I'll bring up. If a song's in six eight, so it's like nobody claps along with those. Or uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Nobody claps along to that, you know. You can't. It doesn't make any sense to clap along to something that's not in four. No, you guzzle a bottle of booze to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you trip around and it's hilarious. Fire yourself out. Somebody gets stabbed and then the game's over. (laughs) It's the fifth movie and no one likes it anymore. Yeah. Eventually they overdo it and yeah, it's... You repeat it too many times, and it loses its flair and its flavor and all that good stuff. <laughs> Jack Sparrow, know your time signatures. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the other option, other than even, obviously, would be odd. So this was like kind of like Matt. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. I see. <laughs> so odd signatures would be like 3-4 or 5-4. So you, instead of counting to four or counting to two before it reaches a new grouping, you'd count to an odd number like three. So mm-hmm. like a good example of three, four is a waltz. So yes. one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, you know, and a good example Kids of like. Kids do not know what those are. Yeah. A waltz I will tell you dance. that it doesn't work for a teacher to say a three, four, like a waltz. And they just kind of are like, 
what? <laughs> I'm like, you know, like, like in Beauty and the Beast. One, two, three. One, two, three. And they're like, what? Like, why haven't you watched that? <laughs> why am I old? <laughs> oh, man. That's true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, uh, they don't, don't know what a references. waltz means. It's really weird. Yeah. I, I knew what that dancing. was when I was a kid. I think but I maybe did. I was just weird. I don't remember not knowing. I don't know. I guess I guess dancing like that is not as popular as it used to be. The ballroom dancing and that sort of thing. But No, it's not. They just like to dance like they're in Fortnite. Yeah, that's well, that's yeah, that's true. <laughs> Do the floss. <laughs> the floss. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't know. There's an an example of five four for all of our um jazz educated friends or listeners would be uh take five so it's you know it's not complicated you just count to five before you switch the grouping it's mm-hmm. so you have to feel it different so especially for younger students who are not used to it who are just wanting to play along with that like like a drum student for example like matt was saying that's playing feeling out four automatically as soon as they have to feel out five, well, now it throws everything off. Yep. And it's really funny to just throw a random uh, random beat bar of five in a piece that's all four and just watch people fail when they get to it. It, it is funny because <laughs> no one, it, honestly, it's, it's pretty difficult, at least for me. I barely ever feel five, four yeah. in actual five. I'll usually think of it as three, then two, just because that's right. usually when you write five, four, you write with that feel in mind, like a yeah. one, two, three, one, two, and then it goes back to whatever it was or something like exactly. that. Exactly. So like usually that's what you have to feel. But if you get to a five, four measure and you don't actually think about it, then one, two, three, four, five, that, wait, what? Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. Well, like take five is written three plus two, but up, but up, but up, but up, but up, Yeah, it's more so, of a take three two because it is the quintessential feeling it in three two, not really five. It is right. five, but still. And pretty much everybody, when they feel something in five, they do three plus two. Pretty yeah, much it, always. It's just an uh, easy cheat sheet way of making it yeah. work and. Honestly, establishing a groove. I think it that you could definitely find more creative ways to feel it, but that's the yeah. uh, the typical way. So if you hear a song that has that one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, um, which is fairly, I'd almost say that's the common quote unquote odd meter, like, mm-hmm. like weird meter, not odd, um, because you'll hear that in like prog rock, you'll hear it in other that want to experiment with uh, rhythm a little bit, some avant-garde stuff. You probably even hear that in uh, classical music styles, but I'm not proficient in my knowledge of that to know yeah, where you, you definitely. That. But do. I'm sure it's back there because that's where it would have came from. Yeah, in classical music, in my experience anyways, and obviously I'm not well-trained in classical music, but they typically use meters like that as like a a pause in the piece to extend a bar. So that's it'll be true. a four, and then they'll add a five four before going back to four. Uh, that's not the only way they do it, of course. That's just how I've seen it in my experience. It's more of like a weird way to quantify a fermata, like a, in a way. Yeah, I was going to say like a mini fermata that you don't want to hold indefinitely. Yeah, so a, yeah. A fermata in music, for those of you that don't know, is when you get to that <laughs> point and you just hold the note out and then don't, and then stop when the director says stop. A lazy then, conductor's fermata. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, this way, the composer knows that it's not going to last too long. They can control it better. So I don't, that's just how I look at it. It's funny, though, we were talking about four being like that, because four four is so popular, they actually call it common time. Yeah. Like, if you're reading a piece of music, instead of seeing four over four, if you just see a big C with no, just a C, no lines through or anything, that's literally, they call it common time, it's four four. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty funny. I like to write C instead of the four four, just because I think it looks funny. It's just I like to see the C on there. I don't know. Um, right. Then the other, there's two other ways to count time or to feel time, and these these two ways are based off the bottom number. So 
your time signatures are basically a fraction. You have a top number over a bottom number. The bottom number is what we're talking about now. So it, the, these two ways of feeling are simple versus compound signatures. Right. So these are pretty similar to your even versus odd. So simple is a bottom number that's basically four or an even number. So um, that would be like four, four. You're feeling it. You're dividing it out simply. Everything is very easily structured. You don't have any lilting feel. The compound meters have like a swaying, lilting feel across them. Well, the uh, in simple meters, the the notation, if broken down, it's divided by uh, pairings of eighth notes. So one and two and three and four and. In compound meter, they're broken down into triplets of eighth notes. So um, one lolly, two lolly, three lolly, four lolly. If you're in 12 eight, if you're in six eight, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one lolly, two lolly, one lolly, two lolly. So it's in simple versus compound. It's it gets to the nitty gritty of breaking down into the feel of your eighth notes. So. Um, a lot of the time, you can think of the uh, the time signature as a fraction, but instead of thinking of it as like four over four, think of it more as four of four. Right. So you have four, uh, four of four, which is quarter notes. If it's six right. of eight, it's six eighth notes. It really is that simple. If you have Four of two, it's four half notes. If you have 32 of 16, it's 32 sixteenth notes. And if they really do, I mean, that you're not going to see that time signature, but that's really Hopefully how you not. can break it down. And then if you then take that and kind of devise, what does that mean in your eighth notes? Are they triplets or are they, uh, what would you... T- Couplets, couplets. Thank you. There we go. Thank you, brain. You gave me it. Um, <laughs> so one and two and or one lolly, two lolly. Right. Yeah, and it's funny because like the same time signature, like six eight. I, in my opinion, you can feel that as simple or compound, depending on how the groove is being built out for you. So if oh, it sure. was simple, you'd be feeling one, two, three, four five six which in my opinion that should be written as six four instead of six eight because of the way that you're feeling it but most people still write it as six eight uh if you're feeling it as compound you feel like what matt said one lolly two lolly one two one two so you're feeling two big beats and then your other two your other four numbers the two three and the five six are felt small so you have one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two. So that way it gives you that lilting sort of feel like he was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's where you're starting to depart from just the time, which mm-hmm. organized the the way that you read those notes. And now, you, now you've entered the groove, which is where you feel the emphasis of where where is the groove, uh, I'm sorry, where is the rhythm accented? Where are we landing with a little more force? Um, what? How are we manipulating those rhythms a little bit? So we'll we'll talk a bit a bit about like swing shuffle and how that that affects things. But oh, it changes it a lot. So it, <laughs> if your groove is that that six eight of one loudly two loudly, it could also be one lolly, two lolly, one lolly, two lolly. That would change your groove. Now you've changed the right. emphasis in places. The time is still exactly the same. You have mm-hmm. two triplets of eighth notes, but now you've altered your groove a little bit by placing the emphasis in different parts of that time. Right. And then it gets really fun when you do odd and compound together and you do something like 7-8 or 11-8. Yeah. Remember Matt playing that Pat Metheny tune that was like uh, one two three one two one two one two one two one two three one two three one two one two one two. It was so good. What what was it called? What was it called? First circle. Thank you. Yeah, that look that song up if you want to really see a 
experimental, um, like experimenting with time signatures and meter. That is a essential tune to look up what you can do when you really embrace um, using different meters to create something that actually feels right. If you if you don't let it overwhelm your mind and overthink it, it is so much easier to feel than you think it is. So as soon as you listen to it and you're like, oh, oh, that actually feels good. Then you try to play it. It's not nearly as difficult as you think it is. It only yeah. is if you overthink it because the groove is so deeply established in the song. Uh, Matheny does a fantastic job of not just making an experimental piece. He really made a creative piece for a large ensemble that works in altered meters. Yeah. I actually stopped counting to that piece. Oh yeah. You don't need to count. It made so much sense. The one I did have to pay attention when it switched back into four, because I did do that at one point. Yeah. At that point you need to wake up. Yeah. I had to pay attention then. And then when it back into the main groove again, though, it was fine. It was back to normal for me. Mm hmm. And then the the hardest part for that tune in particular was the beginning part, the clapping. Well, that's but because the people that were clapping were uh, not rhythm section people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to put it kindly, so they were, rhythm they were section struck. guys are like your drums, bass, and piano and guitar. Mm-hmm. Piano sometimes is not considered rhythm section; depends on your ensemble. But those guys are normally more used to feeling strange times and rhythms and that sort of thing than a horn player is. So when you, and the thing about that piece in particular, I know we're kind of going on a tangent here, but this all relates to what we're talking about is the, you're not on that piece. You weren't actually playing the the big beats that you're feeling. So what you're feeling is one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. But they were clapping on one, two, three, two, three. Yeah, you start getting a little polyrhythmic. Yeah, it's so it's very easy to lose the beat if you're not paying attention. Yeah, but you really all I did what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and really all I did was just make sure I moved my head on the big beats. Mm-hmm. So I just would move my head either forward or back on the big beats, and then just clap on the small ones. The hardest part about that, and my for me personally, was the fact that it was fast and I couldn't clap fast enough. <laughs> that was the hardest part for me, but I didn't really have to clap through that because I had to come in so quickly that it, I couldn't clap and play bass. I did get the uh, the the easy part because guitar and piano got the da 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 in the start of it and. So me and the piano player just sit there. Oh uh, yeah, you playing two were the playing easier on the beat. role. Yeah, we actually yeah. get the the just the downbeat part of it, and <laughs> which was uh, sometimes we'd trip over each other, but it didn't take long to just realize that we have the easiest part, and everybody else has to play around us and figure out what their uh, their rhythms are to play. Because where I I think the problem was is the horn players were probably hearing our rhythm, which was, you know, just the established downbeat of it and thinking that that might be what they're supposed to play. And then not realizing that their claps were more, they're they're more of a written percussion part. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they weren't actually establishing the beat. They were more so playing a percussion part that played Mm -hmm. around the downbeat, not they weren't, laying down the beat so i think that's where things got messy and they figured it out eventually i don't know if when we played it live they or they ever did it right i was just focusing on having fun playing it it was a fun one to play on guitar so (laughs) it was and they didn't even let you wail over it like they should have there's a pat Matheny tune they should have let you just rip one but i was waiting for mr parker to offer that because i could have done it but no they they didn't he didn't have me do that that it was a little disappointing, but eh, whatever, right? Can't change. Yeah, I mean, I now. I was I even knew how to play the uh, the guitar part uh, with the horns properly. I didn't use what was on the score. I learned what Pat Metheny played instead, and I was playing that. And uh, Parker never noticed. <laughs> so yeah, uh, 
He's probably trying too hard to keep everybody together. I'm sure that's exactly what it was, because I'm sure that that was really tricky on the, the horns. He probably yeah. wasn't paying two licks of attention to to me and my playing. Plus, I think that's when I had that giant PV amp and nothing sounded good. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, you kind of got when you had that big PV amp, people kind of ignored your playing a little bit just because yeah. you didn't fit the part. Not because yep. you couldn't do it, but you're pulling in this big two by twelve. I think it was two twelves, right? Mm-hmm. Two tens, two twelve. Yeah, it's this giant two twelve tube amp, like a Oof. seventy pound amp, and I didn't have the money to replace it, so I was stuck. It mm-hmm. wasn't until Mister Spencer offered me his rolling cube and uh, gave it to me for a good price that I was able to finally have a good tone with an amp that didn't break my back to take everywhere. That was. Oh man! Beyond a blessing, because that made life so much easier, and I was finally playing normally and being recognized that I was working my butt off to really try to fit in with everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, we've gone off on a little bit of a tangent now, haven't we? Ah, we <laughs> needed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! We went so off. We were beat. talking about. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> save it. Save it. Go say something else. I don't remember what I was going to say now. You messed me up. (laughs) (laughs) So, Matt, you already went into detail about how to read a time signature, right? The the beats and the bottom note and everything. So the next thing I kind of want to go over, it's it's really hard to explain it to you listeners through the air. So we're going to do a blog post where I show, where I write everything out for you so you can actually see it. But we'll try to explain it roughly right now. Just a, just a, basis of what the rhythmic notation looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you're not playing where you're having to read music every day, rhythmic notation for me has become a shorthand for when I'm playing other types of charts. So like and there's this guy I play with named Randy Estelle and I was playing a chart with him a couple months back and they the rhythm the rhythmic feeling of the chart didn't match up what was written on the chart. So the chart that I have is one of those lyric charts. So they have the lyrics and then the chords above the lyrics. If mm. you guys have ever read one of those, you know that they're not they don't always line up. So I was I had a pencil with me. So in order to figure out what the actual thing was, I just wrote the the rhythmic notation above the notes. Otherwise, I don't know how I would have figured it out. Like I've seen people write on their, write the longhand instead of just writing a half note. I've seen people write two, and then instead of writing, like, you know, a dotted quarter note to, or instead of like a dotted eighth to a sixteenth note, I've seen people write some weird stuff that doesn't make any sense at all. It takes up way more space on the paper. is a lot harder to read. So learning basic rhythmic notation, I think, is really important. I think it's it's essential to being a performing musician. Mm-hmm. It it's really not it's just like with learning your notes and at least some harmonic language and triads and uh key signatures and things like that. If you can't speak the language of uh rhythmic notation, then it's it it makes you illiterate and it's a bit crippling and i've played with so many people that um are musical that as soon as i start talking about the rhythm or uh feeling it differently or anything like that anything to do with the uh the swinging or a dotted rhythm in some way or tied notes Tie note, tied notes are the devil for the illiterate musician, but yeah, <laughs> um, or dotted notes are pretty bad too. I'll, yeah, they they just it it'll go over their head completely, but the concepts are incredibly simple, and it's more so a, a child is is one thing. Like I don't care if my students forget what a dotted note means or what tied notes are. We we work on that. They'll learn that someday. Most of them have only been playing for half a year or so. But mm-hmm. when an adult that is in a performance scenario doesn't understand those things, that's just choosing to be ignorant about a very simple mathematical concept. Right. You could be the you could have gotten F's in math since third grade and still learn rhythmic notation. 
Yeah, it's this not is hard. as easy as two plus two and uh, things like that. It's not as tricky as someone might make it seem. Yes, there are some instances where it's it can turn into a nightmare if it gets very complex, and it can take a moment if you have uh, septuplets with a um, with dotted rhythms and all this stuff, and then you have to really break it all down. But usually, music doesn't do that. So yeah, typically it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So let's I, just get in into opinion, talking about the different uh, notes. Yeah. Rhythmic notes. Well, and and <laughs> one more thing on that too. In my opinion, when you have somebody when you're trying to communicate with band members that aren't don't have a music theory background, it's harder to talk to people that don't understand rhythmic ideas and people that don't understand harmonic and note ideas. Yeah, honestly, if you can. It's less frustrating for me to. Uh, have two seconds of flexing my understanding of the harmony and then they are just like okay then i say something simple about the rhythm and right. what they're what they might be doing wrong or they ask me how to do it right or something like that right and i explain it and they have no idea what i say and i'm just like it that that shouldn't yeah. be difficult <laughs> or w- yeah or like you know when you're using guitar pedals and you have a delay pedal and people click mm. in the tempo and then they've got like a dotted eighth note setting, but they don't know what that means. It's mm. like, you know, it's, it, you really can't unlock your real sound if you don't know what the, even the notation is on your pedal, you know? It's That's why kinda, I usually play just straight up clean. Yeah. I mean, delay can sound really nice sometimes, but I've heard when people have too much delay or not enough delay on parts they're playing, it's mo- pretty much it's just because they don't understand what the little symbols mean. Yeah. Like I've heard people say, oh yeah, I'm going to put the dotted eighth delay on there. And then I've asked them, do you know what the dotted eighth means? And they're like, oh, I have no idea. I'm like, well, then how can you use it if you don't know what it actually is doing for you? So anyways, rant over on that. Um, I want to start at the top and work our way down. So we're going to start with the biggest note there is and then go to the smallest note mm-hmm. as far as rhythm is concerned. So the biggest one would obviously be a whole note. Woo! Straightforward, right? So, mm-hmm. and remember, these are of the bottom note. So a whole note in something in 4-4 four, four would be four beats. You know, a whole note in something in 6-8 would be eight beats. But you're not really going to write a whole note in 6-8 because that doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, you would have a half note. <laughs> Yeah. Basically, a whole, it, we'll just talk about this in 4 4 just because uh, all, all of them represent a mathematical amount of rhythm. Right. So True. a whole note represents four, four beats, or uh, so a whole quarter note four. is one beat. We'll, we'll say that. Like we're talking in 4 4, 3 4, whatever. A, uh, yeah, I mean, even in 6 8, uh, a quarter note is still one beat. One a, a basic beat, so a well, whole note. Quarter. Hmm? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Battery quarter. But yeah. Anyways, I, but at, anyway, yeah. thank you for correcting me on that. I don't know why my brain went there, but um, yeah, like you couldn't write a whole note in six eight because a whole note is eight beats and you only have six possible ones. Exactly. Exactly. So you, uh, what is a is a dotted half a full like a whole note in six eight? Either a dotted half, or I would probably just write two dotted quarters and tie them together, because okay. then you're notating the pulses too. But it would depend on the type of music I'm writing. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so and anyway, anyway, so whole, whole note, note is, is with four beats. Yeah, it's whole over the bottom note, so four out of four in, in four four. So then you have a half note, and so half note. Obviously, it would be half of your bottom. So in four four, it'd be two beats out of the out of four. So that's pretty straightforward. Uh, then you cut that in half again, and you have a quarter note. So the way that these, I guess we should explain what these look like too. Uh, I will we'll put them in the blog post. But a whole note is literally just a circle with mm-hmm. empty spot in the middle. A half note is that circle with an empty st- spot in the middle, and then a stick on the end. On the beginning, yeah. <laughs> Someone stabbed it with a stick. So yeah. now it's leaking out, and now it's worth two. Either pointing up or down, depending on which direction it is. <laughs> then your quarter note 
as Matt was saying, is one beat in 4-4. So a quarter note is a quarter of your bottom number. So in 4-4, it would be one beat. In 6-8, it would be two two beats, kind of, but it depends on how you're feeling. Anyways, back to 4-4. So quarter note, you take that little half note with the stick on the bottom, and you color in the middle. It makes it like a solid block with a stick out of it. I feel like that these are not very good descriptions, but they make sense to me. I, I mean, this is a non-visual <laughs> medium. It's okay. We'll have yeah. that blog post. That'll we'll show put the you blog it. Post. So just to be, just be amused right now by us trying to describe what a note looks like. So. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not artists or writers, so. Uh. <laughs> I mean, wait, wait. <laughs> we just said we're going to write a blog post. Don't tell them we're not writers. <laughs> well, I mean, like, we're not We're like, totally writers. We're the best at it. We're not like <laughs> fiction writers. <laughs> oh, that oh would be a good gosh. time for a funny joke, but it uh, it's too early in the morning. I couldn't think of one. Oh, That's well. too funny. And Okay, so then after a quarter note, you cut that in half again, and you get on to an eighth note. So in a quarter note, or in 4-4, four, four, an eighth note is half of a beat. And you take that quarter note that's colored in with a stick out of it, and then you add a tail. You just, yep. At the bottom of the stick, you have a little tail that comes off. And so now you have an eighth note. Basically, you keep cutting, in them, cutting them in half until they get indefinitely small and they're pointless. Every time right. you cut it in half again, you add another tail from this point mm-hmm. on. So your sixteenth note is the eighth note with two tails. And that is half of an eighth note, which makes it a quarter of a beat. Your 32nd note is three tails, and it's an eighth of a beat. So they keep getting smaller and smaller. They don't get faster and faster, though. That is a misnomer. Mm-hmm. So just I usually because... explain that to, to kids as it's as if it's faster, but it's not. Right. It's, a, it's so, like the no, the beat is getting faster, but that's not what it's doing. And then I try to get them away from that because usually a kid has to understand that the eighth notes are going to be faster first because they're not really thinking mathematically. Right. Um. So for those of you that are not five years old and listening to a podcast, which is <laughs> probably all of you, I, I don't think our children are this uh advanced in finding such things and we probably bored them a while ago by not talking about Fortnite. we probably had them for two seconds there but uh for for those of you that are older i think you can actually know that it does not make anything faster yes if you have a measure of all eighth notes your notes are going to be quote-unquote faster because they'll become an at you faster like in guitar hero and then the next measure of just quarter notes is coming at you slower because there are less notes but it's just it's not the right way you want to think about it because you're not going to feel it properly at all right and i've played with people that will see that and they will play faster and i'm just what are you doing right (laughs) Yeah, or the opposite. So one that one thing that a lot of people do, the Guitar Hero example is actually really good. I didn't think about that. They treat it like it's Guitar Hero and they speed everything up. And they so they take this eighth note and they play it like a sixteenth note just because there's a bunch more black ink on the page. And so they think that they have to speed it up. And everyone Certainly. else is still in that measure and they're halfway down the page. And you're just like, where'd you go? Yeah. You okay, it, buddy? <laughs> Or what people do is they see all the black notes on the all the black ink on the page and they get scared and they slow it way down and don't keep up at all. Yeah, that's true. So, it, that that's I'd say that's more common because it's not that hard to understand what the eighth notes really are. So it's more common to see somebody slow those parts down. Right. Well but what you have to remember when you're seeing all that stuff though is tempo and time are thought in beats per minute. Well, in 4-4, your beat is the quarter note. So you have, if it's 120 beats a minute, you have 120 quarter notes every minute. minute. You have two every second. An eighth note does not mean that the beat changes. So just because you have more ink on the page does not mean that that beat is changing at all. That quarter note is staying the same. Mm -hmm. And the eighth note is just going in between the quarter notes. So... It's not not complicated. It just is a little bit tricky 
when you're when you're learning new passages of music that are hard i it's i slow stuff down just mm-hmm. out of by mistake but then i remember that the whole band did not stop and so then i got to figure out where they are and catch back up cuz that's how time works it doesn't ever stop for anybody uh father time always wins <laughs> uh what was i going to say i had something i was going to say there and then i made a joke and forgot it wasn't even a quick joke either. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh-oh. It, it's gone. Come back. Father Time, you thief. Get back yeah, here. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> he stole your thoughts. <laughs> oh no. I'll take oh, no. that. <laughs> and now. <laughs> so I was talking about eighth notes and quarter notes staying the same. I, I can't remember. can't remember. Anyway, I, I think we could probably... Um, just say that because we talked about dotted notes earlier. Yes, what that that's does, what I was going to bring up. Yeah, what that does to your note is it takes your note's value and then adds half of it. So yes. we'll just so here here's just a simple math. You got a quarter note. It's worth one beat. You stick a dot on it. It you, it goes to the right of it. Yeah, it does. Yes. It goes to the right of it. I had to make sure because I've been stupid today and that turns it into one and a half beats. Yep. If you wanted to make it stupidly confusing, like a lot of com- uh, com- note teachers like to do, oh, well, no, that, <laughs> that's that, that's fine. You can do that. You, you'll take it, and instead of adding a dot, you'll take a quarter note, and you'll draw a little line that connects it to an eighth note. Mm-hmm. And that would be a beat and a half because it is tied to half of itself. Right. How about you just use the doggone dot, you dum dumb? So it depends the, on what it is, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so, sometimes you have to do that if it's at like you know the end of a measure going to, into right. another measure. You can't make a note that overtakes a measure. The the that's what the time signature is. Is it's organizing each measure into an amount so that you have a specific amount and you can fit into it and you can't break that rule without changing the meter. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah, sometimes you have to tie things and it'll look a little confusing, but usually that's because of, um, where the beats emphasis might be or the fact that it's literally just going into another measure and there's no other right. choice. Or if you're writing like choral music, if you're writing for a choir, it's normally better to tie it instead of use a dot just because of the way that vocalists will feel the rhythms out. Oh, screw the singers. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Let well. them learn. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But that, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a pretty normal thing to see. I, I think it's stupid just because we have a way of notating that to make it much cleaner right. and add this, the proper space. And, and it faster. looks better. Yeah, it, it is faster. It's... Uh, Save some ink, not that that matters too much, but it it does clean things up a lot, and it will avoid the moment of somebody not seeing the tie and then singing mm-hmm. that note twice because people will right. do that. Um, they shouldn't. It's pretty obvious what it means, but sometimes someone just thinks it's some weird legato thing or something, and then they make a dum dum. That's that's true. I've yeah, I've seen that happen. Yeah, um, it happens. Yeah, it's the the ties and the dots are they're very very important to remember them. So, like we were talking about different time signatures, like three four. So if you want to fill up all three beats, obviously you can't use a whole note because that'll be four because the bottom note is four. A half note is only two, so you have to use a dot to fill up all three beats of your measure. Uh, and in six eight, your two pulses are dotted quarter notes because you have Matt said like Matt said you have two sets of three eighth notes. So sure. three eighth notes is a dotted quarter mm-hmm. because it's a beat and a half. So uh, that's how you uh, beat and a half in four, four and six, eight. It's one beat cause it's compound. I know it's kind of confusing, but it's the way music works. It's kind of weird like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's very important to know those. The other thing, too, is remember we talked about uh, what common time is and how you ha- just have that C drawn? Well, there's a thing called cut time where you basically take that C and then you draw a line through it. And then now everything on your page is basically in 2-2. Two, two. 
You mean two four? Or no? What? Because or in in four two? I can't remember exactly how you feel. Two but four. Basically, everything's cut in half. You and yeah yeah you cut in so in four four it's two four just because you start feeling it in two. Right. But, yeah, I mean, but, yeah. in, in any case, you just you feel it in two instead of feeling it in four. So each measure, right. you feel two pulses instead of four. And the right. only reason you do that is that that way your whole band isn't bouncing up and down like they need to pee. Yeah, the, it's the still in four time that four, I see that. but it's just easier to, to mentally count at that point. Right. The, the most of the time when you see it, it's in a march, like the Alamo or something like that. Ba ba da ba 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 do da dum. Those are all in, in cut time. Oh, that's true, because they actually need to move on beat while they're playing. Right, and the, they're notated easier to read when you do it I that way, I've never actually too. thought about that before. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an interesting... I learned that in high school band. <laughs> I've playing saxophone in high school band. Marching we, stuff, so... That, yeah, I didn't that, actually march, but we played marches. I, I really want to write a march that, that that's a really weird meter now and send it to a marching band and then attend the game when they try to play it <laughs> you should do one in like 11 8 or something like that the, the sousaphone falls on their face and it consumes one of the drummers or 13 16 <laughs> i've actually heard of people writing in 13 16 i don't know why but it's just to be weird probably yeah because the thing is about music the reason Part of the reason, in my opinion, that four four is so popular is because it's just something that everybody can dance to, because it it's repetitive. It doesn't like have this weird thing of oh, it didn't finish the you know it didn't finish the cycle. Because mm-hmm. people like even numbers. It's you know we got two hands, two feet, and two eyes, and people do things in twos all the time. They had two animals of each on the ark. You know we do stuff in twos and fours all the time. So right, it's uh. It's it's more danceable when you do that. When you have a song that's in seven eight, it might be butter butter. So it might be butter 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 butter, and that feels good. One two one two one two three. It feels good. But how, how do you dance to that? I mean, really, unless you're like you, some pro yeah, dancer it, that it understands that. It sounds like uh, you're on Dancing on, with the Stars, trying to do some mm-hmm. weird Latin thing. It, it just exactly. doesn't so, make sense to your body and makes. Uh, jagged movements yeah so the strange time signatures like that even though they can be fun to write in they're just not they're not marketable the same way that it is in like 4-4 four four. yeah so exactly. that's something i would do a whole ton of uh i think like there's uh, that's one what... other rhythmic concept too i wanted to mention the the polyrhythmic ideas yeah uh so polyrhythm is getting really really popular right now it really is not as complicated as people like to make it seem but basically, you have two sets of things happening in the same space. So to make it simple, we'll you know we'll do beat, beats of two and beats of three. So if you have uh, like one, two, one, two, one, one, two, two three, one, one, two, three, one, two, three. <laughs> right. So basically, you'd have in the same space that you have two beats going, you'd have three beats happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. So beat one is going to line up, beat two and beat three of the three is not going to line up. But then when you get back to that beat one again, they're going to be together. And you, so it ends up being this really intense, complex, rhythmic idea. It's funny, the three against two idea actually does have a specific name for that. It's called a hemiola. Kind of funny. But Sounds like a hematoma. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, there's a challenge going on on YouTube isn't a hematoma like brain bleeding? Something like that. Remember. I don't know. I'm not a medical person. So. Yeah, I don't know. There was a challenge going bad. on on YouTube about polyrhythm. Adam Neely did something in front of a 7-Eleven where he took his phone out and he had a metronome clicking to 11. And oh, in the no. time that it clicked to 11, he counted seven beats. Oh, oh, oh. oh so clever. <laughs> yeah, and then beat one was together again. So... He challenged his followers to to do that and to send him the videos and everything. And yeah, it it's not easy. He explained how he did it and how he broke it down. And you can mathematically take it out and take the beats out and draw it out and explain exactly where they're supposed to fall. 
Like, for example, the Nashville triplet is a fake attempt at a hemiola. The Nashville triplet is one, uh, and one, uh, and one. So if you notice when you're doing the one, uh, and the last beat of that, or the last rhythm that you play is shorter than the first two. So it's not a true three against two. It's not even. A, otherwise, or you could have a quarter note triplet over it, which is even over the course. So one li la, one li la, one li la, one li la, instead of one uh and one uh and one li la, one li la. They're even. So mm. the one, uh, the national triplet is super common. That's, you'll hear that way more than you'll hear the actual quarter note triplet. The quarter note triplet is harder to play because we hear the national triplet so much, but I think it feels better personally. But but the thing about the Nashville triplet is it fits into fours because you're playing it over 16th notes and 16th notes and 8th notes instead of over triplets. So that's why people do it because, like we were saying, some for some reason in music, we just have this draw toward four. So we divide everything up into fours. Even each individual beat, we divide it up into fours, and we don't normally go any deeper than that. It's pretty interesting. Um, one other thing, Matt, I wanted to ask you about is your opinion on the metronome versus no metronome debate when it comes to time signatures and practicing. What do you think about that? Hmm. Well, I think I've talked about before when we talked about practicing that I usually do not use a metronome uh, only mm-hmm. because I've uh, committed pretty hardcore into developing my own inner metronome, and I. And the reason that I'll use a metronome is to challenge myself on more difficult pieces when I need to make sure I'm playing it properly in the right time. Mm -hmm. So like back when I was learning Spain for my senior recital, when I did that, I did use a metronome uh, only because I wanted to make sure that I had uh, the notes aligned properly to the rhythm, that I wasn't slowing anything down because the that that is rhythmically complex and i just wanted to make sure because if i did one thing wrong then i would have lost everyone that i was playing with for for my recital so that was important to me to uh set set aside that part of my practice now when i practice now i usually do not use a metronome and i really try to keep a steady time and sometimes what i'll do is i'll start the metronome stop it Mm-hmm. play and then when it's over i'll play the metronome again and see if i sped up or slowed down we used to do that in rehearsals for uh, around jericho in college um i think that that's mm-hmm. a really 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 good practice the reason i do that is because when i'm playing with my students i want to be able to just bam start playing and keep it steady regardless of their speeding up or slowing down and the amount of control over my own rhythm that I have without needing something to support me, the more that I can support my students. Uh, it mm-hmm. That's true. Because That's true. they'll have spots that they need to slow down and I won't automatically slow down. I'll know that they're slowing down. And right. sometimes when they're preparing for a recital, then I'll push them and force them through those sections because I'll know that they slowed down or they sped up. Or they played something wrong there. The the more I have an inner metronome, the more I can communicate to other musicians, and I don't need to like have a uh, an earpiece in where I click in a metronome wherever I go because I play so much with so many different kinds of people. I just need that within myself. So I use it as a challenge piece. Or if I if I'm doing something in an odd meter, then sure. Or if I'm just play if I just want a beat to play along to i will literally just take out the metronome and turn the metronome on instead of uh like going to the keyboard and playing a drum sample or something because i'm lazy so i'll play along (laughs) to the metronome just to have something playing (laughs) that's funny i'm kind of similar to you on that debate so i i think that there is a great value in the metronome but i don't Mm -hmm. think it is the end all of, of of musical practice and i don't think it should be your first tool that you grab out of the bag so, no, it can it can be a crutch. It, yeah, it can be. Without now, the, the way I think that it should be used, so when you are first learning a piece, I think it's it's pointless to take the metronome out. 
unless you know that you unless yeah. you think you can just play it play it without needing to rehearse it. Um, the reason I think that is because when you're first learning a piece, you should be concerned about things other than making sure you are keeping up with the metronome. Yeah. So you should be focused on: Are my fingers in the right spot? Is my technique okay? Am I going to play this with the right dynamics? Uh, that sort of thing. Then once you know, once your fingers have an idea of where they're going, then I think it's important to turn the metronome on at that point. The reason I think that that's important is because it forces you to, if you make a mistake, to keep going, and yeah. to learn the, and it forces you to practice how you're going to perform. Because you're not going to perform it by slowing down. You're going to perform it by speeding, by staying the same, not speeding up, going straight through it. And if you make a mistake, to f- keep finishing it. Now, you don't want to practice those mistakes. So if you make a mistake, you want to make sure you stop and you slow that part down and you work it out. But mm-hmm. the metronome, so like with, um, what, what piece was it? I can't remember. One of the pieces I was doing for my, one of my recitals. Uh, one of the classical pieces I was working on, mm. I had to have the metronome to get that to where I could play it because what would happen is I'd hit the tricky parts and I slowed down every single time. The so Bach the metronome one. for, yes, it was one of the Bach pieces, but I played yeah. a couple Bach tunes. I can't remember which one it was. Ah, gotcha. Um, but the metronome forced me to not slow down. And when it did, when I did slow down, I realized I slowed it down. So then what right. I did is I took the metronome and I backed it off a few clicks and played it again. And then I gradually sped it up until I could play it faster than I needed to and play it faster than I needed to comfortably so I could back it back down again and then be relaxed at the speed I wanted to play it at. Right. That kind of brings it full circle. Like we said at the start, in Bach and his Baroque time, there was less groove and more organized time. So Mm -hmm. you using the metronome to work on a Bach piece is essential because part of what makes it the piece that it is isn't about your uh, rhythmic expression. It's right. about achieving that virtuosity of playing through those notes mm-hmm. and holding that time. And, right, of course. Um, because those rhythms were written with intentionality the way he wanted them to be and their sequences that he composed. So it's a specific way of writing that it, it might not be my way. Like uh, I like, teaching my students the difference between that which none of them are playing yet and the romantic stuff like a lot of them are learning for release so i explain to them the romantic period and how they don't have to hold their tempo in for release they can control it they can Mm -hmm. slow it down and speed it up and they can have full um creative control in those decisions and make it sound really interesting and cool and use that to build tension whereas with that, you did the right thing of using your metronome and forcing yourself to not slow down and get through those runs because some of them are going to be more difficult and right. you'll be tempted to slow it down and be like, oh, it's a uh, it, it it's a creative expression. And Bach would say, no, I you have to play that part on beat. That's the right. point. There are two other places that I really use the metronome too. Um, one of them is as a bass player working on my walking bass lines. Yeah. Because that's something you never stop practicing, you know. And so that is something it's vital to have the metronome because you can't be in or out of time with the metronomes. You just have to be there when it comes to walking bass lines. So you have to be smack dab in the middle of the beat no matter what the drummer's doing, no matter what the piano player is doing or the trumpet player. Because Here, here's the thing, in a jazz setting, people are going to play out of time on purpose. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean the bass players allowed to. Yeah. So exactly. I have to practice the metronome so I can work on zoning, zoning out all the other times that are going on. That doesn't mean I'm going to be completely dense and just ignore it. And if my drummer is slowing down, that I'm not going to. I mean, I'm going to try to push him and make him stick with me. But if it's not going to work, I'm going to have to slow down a little bit so that we don't clash and you know burn and just get destroyed. Yeah. But I need to also be able to play in time no matter what the soloist is doing too. Because if we're playing in 4-4 and Matt all of a sudden decides that he wants to play a couple lines in 7, well, that's going to sound really sweet. It's going to be, the rhythmic ideas are going to be super complex going on right there, that polyrhythmic stuff. But I can't change. 
Mm-hmm. So I use a metronome then to make sure I stay the same. The other place is I use a metronome every time I practice soloing, uh, improvised solos, because I have a tendency, and Matt knows this very well, I have a tendency in improvised solos when it's a very pretty song to slow them the heck down. And when it's a fast song, I have a tendency to run away with it as if I've been lit on fire and I'm trying to get away from the the fuse or something. (laughs) You know it's true. I have those tendencies, so I have to work really hard to not do that. So that's another place that I use it. But when I'm first learning a written piece, I don't don't touch it in the the very beginning. Yeah, I... uh... I like to use the metronome with my students when they are work uh, the guitar students when they're working on strumming mm-hmm. um, because they're they're doing music that's more contemporary so it's like pop songs uh, some of them it's worship songs rock songs whatever but in those cases it's it it isn't a walking bass line but it's similar to that role where if they are slowing down and speeding up and pausing in between chord changes constantly, the metronome, it, it is, it's judgmental. Oh, it, it lets does them know lie. right away. It, makes it me tells hate you, it. it tells you right away. Especially uh, another thing that I think is very important is, um, a, a, would you call it a manual metronome? Like the actual real metronomes, the ones that look like little pyramids that sit on your grandma's piano. Those mm-hmm. are lovely and and but they're awesome. not accurate. Well, it's not that they're not accurate. Usually, they uh, if it's a good one, it'll be fine. But it doesn't accent any of the beats. So right. use your phone and then put the or buy accent the, uh, like a doctor beat or something, something like that. Uh, I mean, I just use one that I've downloaded as an app. And accent one of the beats so that that will always tell you where the measures start over again. Because if you just have one, two, three, four, all the beats sound exactly the same, you might turn the beat around without without realizing it. Mm-hmm. And the metronome will not tell you that unless one of the beats is accented. You can put them on different accent, whatever. Just put it on the first one. It All the exercises and stuff well, that you can do is good to practice. but for for what I'm saying, when you're just yeah, trying to learn to strum and stuff, sense. just put it like on the to, first one. I, that way, if you turn it around, bump, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do like to change the accent, though, and actually just change what beat and just not even have beat one on there. So sometimes I'll practice with just beat four clicking. Right, which I think is something that note. Oh, it's hard, people but... should practice after they get down right, you know, just playing on beat. That's a more advanced thing to make sure you're like recording studio ready. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because that that'll really tighten up your time. Mm-hmm. That is 100% the truth. So for listening recommendations, I think that Pat Metheny tune is the perfect one to listen to. So we'll link it. We'll find a big band arrangement of it and we'll link it. Uh, Matt, is there anything else that you think we should recommend this week? Uh, sure. I mean, it has nothing to do with our, uh, our discussion, but last weekend I saw, uh, Detective Pikachu and it is my favorite thing in the world. Forget the <laughs> Avengers. Who cares? This movie's so much more fun to me. Um, <laughs> uh, but, um, it, even my wife who did not really grow up with Pokemon and doesn't, really care about it and is very judgmental to me when I'm freaking out about something to do with Pokemon. She liked it and she uh, said that it's a really cute movie and it was funny. So that, that says a lot that she didn't walk out of it. Like I hate you. We're done. Um, (laughs) So I'm I'm very grateful for, for my wonderful wife. But anyway, it um, I'm not really, I, well, I'm partially recommending the movie, but one of my favorite parts about it was the soundtrack that was uh, composed by Henry Jackman. And what he did with it was really impressive to me because he, he made this cool mixture. Uh, like a, he honestly, he made a new fusion that I haven't really heard before for a movie where it took uh, typical cinematic um, sounds and then it brought in the eight bit, chiptune stuff a little bit that was inspired by Pokemon's musical style and then kind of morphed it so that it would sound sort of like Blade Runner. So obviously Mm. Detective Pikachu 
detective story. It's a mystery, a bit noir in a way. Uh, the visuals are inspired by Blade Runner. So it was really an interesting soundtrack to hear because of how well it, uh, it, it took different inspirations and made it work into interesting sounding, uh, an interesting sounding score which uh, really helped the tone of the whole thing, made it sound really good. And I really enjoyed it. So you should definitely go and uh, check out at least the soundtrack. It's on Spotify. Uh, Not there. There's something that has a bunch of pop tunes on it and whatever. I don't even remember those being in the movie, but if you find the actual soundtrack, there's some really interesting things there for people that are into composing. Cool. I'll have to listen to it. I haven't done that yet. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to our tangent. I mean, our episode. (laughs) We rambled a lot on this one. Sorry about that. But I hope that we gave you guys some really good information. Uh, I do want to announce that we are starting a Patreon page. So that is going to be open very soon. Yeah, um, we have our, we're still, we got our rewards tiers worked out and everything like that. So. Just a couple final more details. We will send it out on social media once it's ready for you guys to access it. So um, I can't think of anything else we need. Oh, yeah, please share share us with your friends. That really would mean a lot to us. The more people that hear about it, the more people we can help learn how to be better musicians. And really our goal is just to help people learn how to play music and to make it easier because music is one of those things that's universal to people and everybody enjoys it at some level and tons of people want to play it. but a lot of people think it's too complicated and they don't realize that it doesn't have to be that hard. So we want to share people the basics and help them figure out how to be their best musical selves. So please share your, our podcast with your friends. Let us know what you think of it. If you uh, disagree with anything we said or whatever, then let us know. We'll like that Mm -hmm. too. So you can email us uh, or you can contact us through our website or you can hit us up on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. My handle for Instagram and Twitter is at T bowls music. Uh, I don't know what Matt's is. I can't remember. I, I think it's forget. just Matt Shaw, but I, I can't remember because I was trying to figure out a good way of having it because uh, this is a kind of a social media thing and I wanted to be likable. I'm literally okay. I, I am Matt C Shaw. Matt which probably C-Shot. has little underscores in it, and people know how Instagram works. Yes, um, it, it does have underscores, I'm pretty sure. You can review us on iTunes. We're on Spoofy. Spotify deemed us worthy, and yes. I'm super happy about that because I know that it can be a nightmare for them to let you on. At least so, it was uh, at first. I don't know. I, don't, I submitted it and immediately said, okay, you're accepted. I was like, oh, wow. Which is amazing just because I've heard of uh, how like long it can take and how many times people get denied. So the fact that we were just let right on is uh, I'm hoping that they actually look at what you make because then that would make me feel happy about myself. They probably don't, but I don't care. It makes me happy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. We will see you guys next week. See ya. (laughs) 